what do you think of when you hear the word wizard? Wizard. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think of some weird, not necessarily weird, but generally an elderly fellow who is somewhat mysterious and likes to read books <laughs> and has some sort of weird powers. I just think of a homeless man with a beard. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, you're like, oh, look at that wizard over there. Okay. You go, what? Okay. You guys are both lying. You don't do you... think of, see, because I think of Mickey Mouse from Fantasia oh. with, the, with the blue wizard hat with the yeah, stars yeah. and the moons on it and the star wand. And that's then Mickey Mouse. That's not a wizard. <laughs> well, I mean, you, like Will said, a homeless guy. I don't think that's a wizard. <laughs> Like, uh, do you not think of Gandalf? Do you not think of Dumbledore? I feel like that's just what people think of. Well, so when I hear just what I, okay, when I hear normies out in the world say the word (laughs) wizard, they're they're either saying um, a person is super good at something. Oh man, he's an Excel wizard. He's a whiz kid. Or they're referring to like their creepy brother-in-law who just doesn't do anything. He's like, he's this weird wizard kind of guy who lives in the basement. Who's also really good at Excel. (laughs) (laughs) welcome to vox arcana i'm william i'm jake i'm david and this is a dungeons and dragons podcast episode 14 the wizard we're continuing our class series this week and uh as i mentioned we're talking about wizards the most magical fantastical class in the game so you want to play a wizard jake what do you think of the wizard i'm just i'm not a fan of the wizard i think if you want to play a wizard you have to be very 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 times 10 more berries prepared <laughs> okay. to play the wizard um and players that just kind of are interested in spell casting and want to be creative or like the idea of magic i push them towards being a sorcerer uh, because I, I don't know, wizards, there's so much bookkeeping and like, I guess that fits the character of like a wizard. Is yeah. That, literally, I was, literally I was literally about to say like, <laughs> I think prepared is like one of the best words that you could use to describe a wizard. <laughs> bookkeeping and being prepared. And being prepared. Just are a wizard. And see, so I hear if, that and I go. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, like that's. Like hearing hearing that, I'm just like, oh, I'm excited. Like there's all sorts of like spells that I gotta keep track of and just be aware of and it's like, oh, I gotta oh manage my, my spell slots. There, that isn't so gonna incredible. do damage. There is something really enticing to me, um, because I think D and D is supposed to be, or at least in its earlier versions, a kind of a resource management game. Um, when you're tracking even though we're not tracking torch oil and we're not tracking rations, um, really I mean, I am because I'm weird, but um, <laughs> but a wizard is also tracking these resources, and that yes. is like, what spells do I anticipate needing today? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you really have to make that decision every day. Uh, unfortunately, in the games I've played, players can kind of uh, lie or wiggle their way out of that commitment because they're like, oh well, um, I have unseen servant. I I had it all along um, prepared, so let's carry this huge treasure chest with me out of the dungeon, you know. Um, but I like the notion of having to make these decisions before you know yeah. if, if it's the right decision. Yeah. Weird. You gotta do see, your research I think ahead of time. When I think of a, of a spellcaster, I think of like um, Avatar the Last Airbender. Like I think of a firebender. 
And it's like, okay, they're a pyromancer and they can always manipulate fire and fire is their thing. And it's just fire, fire, fire. And how can I be creative with my fire? That's how I like magic. Like I'm thinking for myself as a player, like I want to be able to have something that I can always manipulate, that I can always use, that I have to be creative with, as opposed to like, all right, do a, like a puzzle to figure out what you anticipate will be in the dungeon next. It just, it's not my idea of fun. And I respect that other people yeah. like you, David, find that fun, but it's, it's a different just too style. much. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy like trying to problem solve, like, how can I use this spell to just secretly defeat this boss like super easily? Like, how can I use levitate here? Yeah. Uh-huh. That it, it is so fun because, well, it, it, fun for David and I, probably not for Jake. Um, <laughs> Just because I feel like um, the wizard, when we think of it, I think of fireball and all these damaging spells. But um, frankly, the utility is just incredibly high for them because they can um, move things, teleport, whatever, um, more than anybody else. So they have tricks that that can be very hard to dm for because if you're like oh well there's this high ledge it's like 300 feet in the air he's like oh i cast fly and i and i get it yeah oh dang it that was the whole dungeon i was gonna make you do Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and so i I could see why wizards could be just not welcome in a campaign because they absolutely can destroy um a conventional logic puzzle yeah yeah i just i don't know i my biggest fear in playing with wizards is that yeah they can destroy things with just a snap of their fingers because of the, their spell that they had prepared or uh, my biggest fear is that they uh were in the middle of combat and they go oh let me check how the spell works again after they cast it and so everyone you know the rogue gets on their phone and the ranger goes to the bathroom and suddenly everything grinds to a halt because of the bookkeeping <clears throat> and so i guess that's my my fear of the wizard but but my one player that has played as a wizard before was absolutely incredible because they said i will do the legwork i have a spell book i will do all my leveling up i will do all my spell slots and it was just so nice that like they did all that but they still you know were honest and and had what spells they had prepared. And I don't know. It just, it was beautiful. And that character is actually like a huge NPC in my later games because it was such a great character. So my one experience with the wizard has been great, but in general, I I try to shy people away from it because it takes a lot of legwork and bookkeeping. So you bring up a really good point about um, the risk of having a wizard at the table is just slowing the entire game down. Um, One way that I got around this in my last campaign was, um, there, there's many spellbook apps you can get. The particular one that I use is not available anymore in the App Store. Um, but I made all the players download that to their phones. And all of a sudden, mm. there was no more pausing to look up anything. Huh. And, and so when the players were on their phones, they were looking up spells to use on their <laughs> turn, which was terrific. And so we had like a paladin and a cleric and a wizard and mm-hmm. a druid. And so everybody's using spells all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that one little optimization, which came in at... I think the third, second or third to last session. So I was kind of mad at myself for not innovating mm-hmm. faster. Um, just save the day. Yeah. I think that spells in general just can slow the game down if you're not careful and your players don't take the time to be prepared to know what their class does. Well, um, mm-hmm. part of that, it depends on the spell, right? Um, I find that the, the longer spell descriptions are just being hyper specific. Like if you look at, um, I think it's called Control Weather. Oh my gosh, it's like an entire page in the uh, the player's handbook. Um, 
Um, <laughs> but then you have stuff that's like magic missile. Hey, look at that. 3d4 damage. Boom. I'm done. Boom. You get there. You go, kid. <laughs> um, pew, pew, pew. So it just depends. Um, I've even seen people pick spells based on just what they were willing to read through. Like oh, there's yeah. some people who look and they see like a big wall of text and they're like, I'm not choosing that. Like it could be the best spell in the game. I'm not choosing oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I, just and too I, much. And that's fine. Like a player is going to play the kind of class and they're going to play in the style that they find the most comfortable. And I think the wizard is not comfortable for everyone. Yeah. Well, and fine. I think, I think for me, I've noticed which players want to be the wizard because they will text me at three in the morning and be like, okay, I think I'm going to do this spell and this spell. And like, they're like, you can tell they're so invested in what the wizard is outside of the table. You know, they don't just show up mm-hmm. and, you know, take a sip of their beer and be like, all right, what, what do I do again? You know, like they, they uh-huh. know exactly how their class works. And I think yeah. some of the most, you know, the the players that like the mathy the gamey the crunchy part <laughs> of the of the game of D anD D like they're the ones that are attracted to the wizard because they can utilize all of the game design and kind of get to flex their muscles that aren't you know necessarily creative but they're like problem solving and kind of puzzly I don't even know how to explain it but yeah we had a player in my uh, actually David knows this too. Um, He's a guy in my campaign I'm running now. He was playing a cleric and he just kind of jumped into the role. I didn't read up on the character. And then we were playing one week and one of my other players said, you can do that. I didn't know you could do that. And the other guy says, I didn't either. And the other guy says, you need to know your class. He says, come back next week and I want you to know your class. And sure enough, he did. He came back next week. He had read every single spell, every class feature for cleric. Wow. And he was a powerhouse. He, he looks at me and he says, there's so much I wasn't doing. <laughs> and for the rest of the session, whenever he's there, like his cleric is on it. And he, Whoa. he, he doesn't look up spells. Like he, he's, he's referencing them to remember them. Now he's not looking at them for the first time. Yeah. And it just, it really flows and it feels like magic flowing out of this guy. Yeah. I love it. And so I think the wizard could be the same. <laughs> Obviously it's a lot more homework because you have to read, I think 50 pages of spell material. Um, but if you're level one, it's not that much. That's true. Um, but for the right player, that is just a sweet character to play for them. It's fun. Hmm. So what David, if, for instance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a wizard in real life. <laughs> Don't challenge me on that. So what would you guys say is slash isn't the wizard? Oh, so we're talking like kind of role playing? Yeah. So what, what does a wizard, what, what feels like a wizard type character in your game? Oh. Okay, so it's academic and a yeah, word. Um, I think when you look at the wizard in comparison to the sorcerer, which I like more, uh, the wizard <laughs> is more, like you said, academic. They're more scientific. They're more calculated, whereas the sorcerer is more creative and artistic and wild. So, yeah, I would say it's kind of the academic versus artistic for the wizard versus sorcerer. And that's why I think I lean towards the sorcerer more because I like the more creative side of spellcraft, like as a literal definition of like crafting a spell and Mm -hmm. using wild magic and creating or like twinning spells. Stuff like that's cool to me. Wizard, it's just it's bookkeeping and it's like I said, you're creative in your own way, like a puzzle solving way. But that's, not, I don't know. That doesn't click yeah, with my uh, brain. 
the sorcerer is much more of a spell weaver where they just kind Ooh, of yeah, yeah. manipulate things and just kind of like weave things together into an interesting spell. Whereas the wizard is a precise, very specific, like you do this, this, and this, and you get this reaction out of it. It's, it's like more, you're a it's chemist. It's kind of Harry Potter. Yes, it's yeah. very Harry Potter. Very, very yeah, uh, that's, precise, that's calculated. And it, oh, it, okay. it attracts a different style of player. I would definitely say someone who is more calculated, someone who's more, I have these prepared spells because I'm going to use this one for this exact situation. Mm -hmm. So um, the way I've heard it described, and maybe the player's handbook itself describes it like this, where the sorcerer is born with magic, as we see with the uh, the draconic ancestry or the wild magic, and then the wizard like is the person... Yeah. And the wizard is a person who has studied all their lives to get to where they are. And they just pursue mm -hmm. knowledge, which is why I think academic, because this is a person who um, they're just consumed by this desire for more and more and more power. And um, I think as a character archetype, that could be really interesting. Um, because, yeah. Um, because that lust um, is a great motivator. Yeah, because they're mm -hmm. like, they're, they're inherently, they're not inherently magical, but they are inherently ambitious to and be the best yeah, yeah and your genius level intellect that they're they're smart and ambitious which makes for an interesting character concept by itself you know because you mm -hmm. could easily make a lazy chaotic neutral uh sorcerer that's just kind of silly and you know they, they're kind of pampered almost or like they've been born lucky but like a wizard you kind of have to you don't have someone who falls into being a wizard. Like you have to kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. To be to be learn. fair, uh, you have to have a pretty high IQ to be able to understand the nuances of. <laughs> oh my the gosh! Rick and Wait, Morty. in the real world, <laughs> <laughs> that's the exact reference. I was oh, making. the Rick to and Morty fair. wizard. To be fair, <laughs> but jo but joking aside, yeah, the the wizard is a class who they value intelligence, they value knowledge, they value learning, and. I think that's something that can really be interesting to see play out in a character who is constantly desiring to know more and generally probably thinks they know more than most of the population mm. based off of what they've So achieved. here's a question that just came to my mind. Um, what kind of quests would you set in front of a wizard player to, to get them to go? Like what makes them want to go out into the world and, and do stuff? Uh, I think rare knowledge or like things that they're required to explore um I, I i think this is one of the the hardest classes to pull out of their shell right like with a fighter you can just be like there's a there's a war over here and they're like <laughs> all right let's go you know but with a wizard it's like it's hard to get them to leave the library right like you got to have a really good logical reason to get a wizard out of their comfort zone because they they learn best when they're in a safe place, a secure, mm -hmm. non-dangerous place. I think I think to draw a wizard out, you need a good mystery. Mm. I think you need some sort of magical enigma in the world that draws them to go and to try to learn and get hands-on rather than huh. just reading books all the time. You want them to get out and exploring and to, to fiddle with things to see if they can kind of... Oh, okay, okay. Manipulate... I yeah, I have something that that fits kind of with that. So in my in my universe, um, in the in the capital, the main capital city, there is what's called the Arcane University, which is just like you know what, whether you want to call it Hogwarts or whatever, you know, it's just like this this school where wizards go to train. 
Um, and occasionally they'll let sorcerers or monks in to learn different stuff. But it it is mainly designed to teach wizards to be the best wizards they can. So the Arcane University is pretty much the only way they can kind of advance uh, through the world as, um, you know, well-regarded wizards. So at the end of their tenure, at the end of their academic cycle and before they graduate, they have to do basically a big, like, graduate student field study thing. Okay. And that's that's a way that I can get wizard players or sorcerer players out into the world like they'll be assigned that they have to go do this quest or they'll be like retrieve this artifact or transcribe this thing in this faraway land and that's why it's a way of pulling them out of the university and forcing them into the world and it's also a way that people will meet wizard npcs because they'll say like oh i'm i'm on my my uh you know, study journey, you know, like I have to get this thing in order to graduate the arcane I university. I really like that. I really like that. Cause it's almost like a, a thesis, a senior thesis. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Trip or, or even like a mission trip. I don't know what to call that, but yeah, um, that's, it, I love the world building. I'm going to steal it. So yeah. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> Anytime. Mechanically, what are the pros and cons of playing a wizard? Well, I think Jake already pointed out the, some of the cons, <laughs> you have a lot of freaking spells that you have to <laughs> keep track of. of. Yeah. yeah, you have so many options, and if you don't know what your spells do, you're you're boned. I think, sure. it's, but that also is a pro because, like I said earlier, a prepared player almost yes. has a, a trick up his or her sleeve for any situation as a wizard, and like that, yeah. especially at high levels, they can kind of just snap their fingers and make problems go away. And that, that's not even talking about the wish spell. <laughs> like, that is just, like, a, a, a really a testament to their utility. Yeah, yeah, wizards have so many... They have access to so many different spells for any kind of imaginable situation. So, mm-hmm. they the utility of the wizard and what they can bring to a party compared to other very niche, like, specific spellcasters like a sorcerer, they, they provide a lot more just overarching support for the whole team mm. of characters yeah. which is one of the big pros so um a con is just it's not for new players and it's not for just casual players yeah i think looking at it the wizard may be second only to the bard maybe the best support class in the game interesting yeah, right, because there are so many specializations and ways to play a wizard. I think if you had a party that was made entirely of wizards, um, but specced out in very specific, different ways, you could have a really interesting feeling party. Because they have yeah. even like melee fighting wizards. Uh, oh, yeah, those Warcaster or like or War Magic. War Magic, yeah. It's like crowd control mixed with like beefing up your magic armor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, the, I, th- I actually think that if you have a healer, a wizard is much better utility than a bard huh hmm. that, i because i would put it right s- under a bard because inspiration is just too good yeah, okay well if you think about yeah. uh the divine like portent if you're playing like a divination wizard where you can just hmm. give someone a pre-roll tw- d20 to like automatically make them I actually on a i actually as much as i hate the concept of like kind of these gamey wizard things that i forget about that one's really, really, really cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. one, and and we're going to talk about the schools of magic later, but I really, I'm a fan of that idea. As for being like different than a bard, I think that 
a bard is almost like a diet wizard in the sense that it, <laughs> it, it solves a lot of the same problems except it comes with healing as well um but in just a simple mechanical way like they do have some spells but it's a really small list compared to wizard and, and, and more all focused. utility yeah focus. yeah as opposed to a wizard who's like oh i could um have a familiar and i can warp time or blast yeah portals or whatever yeah i don't like the one thing i don't like about like the cleric has or sorry not the cleric the the bard has so much utility and that uh they they just never are really bad at anything especially being high in charisma they they tend to just mm-hmm. kind of take over a party at times with a wizard <laughs> oftentimes they don't have very good charisma so you can you can have some pretty fun social interactions with them where they just are yeah. rude or just oh my gosh yeah mean and it kind of creates for some good party diversity not having a class that's just kind of pretty good at everything oh absolutely i think an example of this is the character of caleb in the second uh campaign of critical role is caleb is a straight up wizard like every time they're in town he's just like hello is there any uh, paper i can find and he's always looking for parchment to write down new spells and he's always trying to sneak into libraries and like he is just a quintessential wizard that is not charismatic. That is, he's covered in dirt. Like he's just like <laughs> this. Like, and, and he's, he, but he doesn't care about that. All he cares about is the pursuit of knowledge. And it's really interesting to see, especially his interplay with uh, the other characters that are quite charismatic, because mm. he's he's just honest. He's like, no, I want to, I want to go to the library. I want to get as much parchment as I can. I want to look up spells, like. <laughs> And it's it's really cool to see that kind of lack of charisma work, you know, in in that type of game. It's really great. I heard a really interesting discussion about um, how D&D models charisma or intelligence in the game. Because, um, okay, so you're playing D&D and you play as a barbarian. And they are incredibly strong. Much stronger than you will ever be in your life. And we have no problem saying, oh, he lifts up this boulder. Yeah, yeah. Or he, he cuts this guy in half in one swing. Um, but then for a person who is, who, let's say, a person who has no charisma in real life, or they're very shy. Um, not to say those things are exactly the same. but Yeah, I think they're different. <laughs> yeah, they are a different thing. But let's say we have a shy person who really, he in the game, he's supposed to be charismatic. But in real life, he doesn't really know how to do that, he or she. Um, or in the reverse, there's a person who's really charismatic in real life, but his character isn't at all. But as soon as we try to model that in the game, it uh, it breaks down. So how would you play a wizard who is much more intelligent than the player playing him in D&D? Because I can't think of any way to make that work in a way that seems fair or fun. You have to become more intelligent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just read a book, dude. (laughs) In the game, every wizard has a spell book they have to carry around. So I got to thinking, what are some interesting unique spell books because frankly it's kind of boring dragging oh, around yeah. this huge tome all day yeah. mm-hmm. um so what are some cool ideas oh i think i would love to see a character with just tattoos of different spells oh tattooed all over their arms oh and gosh. bodies wait so would this but would the tattoo disappear when you cast it or is that like no because it's a book right so you would prepare it in the morning and maybe you <laughs> tattoo it in the morning on your on your arm and then after you've used it you've expended it <laughs> i'm just imagining someone being like oh dang i need that spell and they wake up 
early in the morning. They're completely naked and they're looking through a mirror, looking like the back of their thigh at like a oh. spell that's back there. They're like, <laughs> just to have, memorize it. Imagine having a weird culture of spellcasters who ritually tattoo spells onto their bodies. And so when you kill them, you can't take their spell books unless you skin them. Oh. Ooh. Or just take and their corpse. Or, or even if you could have, um, yeah, you carry their corpse around. Um, or you could have these people hunting the wizard because he's got all these rare high-level spells on him. Oh, and tattooed on him. That's cool. Yeah, and they're trying yes. to skin him. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that, that's already, like, a really cool world-building plot hook. Yeah, there that's, you go. that's cool. Um, another idea I had was for just carved sticks. So I don't know if that would be a staff that's just, like, written all Ooh. over. Or you, maybe you have just, um, a, like, a sack of sticks sack of wands a sack of wands really um <laughs> and, and each of them is a different spell and so you just kind of whip it out and you read it and and that's whip your... it out and then you pull out the wand okay. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to find one that's that, that has that has any charges left it's just like oh, oh no not that one it's like, not, oh, that this one. One's... not that one <laughs> <laughs> um what else uh so another one would be uh familiar that res- recites your spells for you. Oh, okay. So I'm imagining just like a pirate wizard with, with a parrot, a, with that, a parrot oh on their shoulder gosh. that speaks for them. So the pirate never <laughs> speaks. Because he can't read. Yes. Yes, he gets around. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So the real question is, is the parrot actually the <laughs> wizard? <laughs> kind of I love, I just love the concept of familiars a lot. Like they are to the point of it almost pushes me like when i'm playing a rogue which is one of my favorite classes to pick the uh arcane trickster just to get a familiar like yeah, there's so many oh. cool things you can do with a familiar like um mechanically there's one where you make your familiar run over to the enemy and just ca- uh, use the assist action every turn oh and yeah so everybody gets advantage against that enemy um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that looks like like there's a dragon with a spirit just like i running no no <laughs> i know what that looks like because i thought of uh, a cool arcane trickster rogue that has a uh, a squid that floats through the air. Um, and so the assist oh. action would be the squid, like, you know, boosting over there and then blasting them with ink. And like, Oh, okay. And, and I, I kind of imagine it like, uh, the, the familiar would also be my mage hand. So I'm imagining instead of pickpocketing from afar with the mage hand, it's just a squid reaching in and pulling out coins from someone's pocket. Like, <laughs> I just love that concept. Oh my. <laughs> It's kind of a nautical feel. Yeah. You know, we should run like a pirate theme. I, I, I've the been classes... waiting to play a pirate for so long. <laughs> well, all the classes you could just reflavor to be more oceany or piratey. Yes. Um, you could have the paladin be a representative for the Royal Navy. And so instead of oh. wearing plates, he's wearing like that British Navy. Yeah, Admiral. Like... Yeah. With the... <laughs> yeah. I've been on the pads. 70s. That's how the British sound. Um... <laughs> <laughs> just like pirates. <laughs> So another another interesting spellcasting style that you could choose would be you have bottles that you just kind of mix and throw to generate spells. Oh, it's kind of like an alchemist, but yeah. not uh, exactly. Yeah, I I think, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of our future bard episode, but this is how I kind of do the bard spells. Like, they can look over the bard spells, which are all kind of utility-based and then figure out how to reflavor that into something that's not actually magical. 
And I like the idea of a bard being a bard, but doesn't have the magic. Like they just have to do everything with like clockwork devices or oil slick <laughs> machines or all of the, you know, healing that's actual like medical care. Like, I don't know. Oh I, I love changing magic to, to basically appear as magic, but actually isn't. And that kind of, that <laughs> so kind of fits this. All, all, you take all the magic out of D and D. Actually um, the ingredients uh, that like the spell, whatever the reagent, yeah um there's a a guy online um that identified all of them as being just an inside joke that the game designers put in so um i think there's spell shatter you need a piece of fool's gold or mica or something um because all you're doing is you're throwing a rock at something to break it like that's (laughs) a joke (laughs) well and they're all like that so i mean kind of going off that what do you guys think of the like the verbal somatic and what was the other one material material yeah yeah do you guys use that? Um, you know, not really. Unless, no, I can't think of a time I have. Unless um, you're wanting to track some resource. Um, I had an idea of having um, grades of reagents for material spells. And so um, let's say that you have like the most common one all the time, so you can always cast it. But then in the game, you can find very limited uses, uh, like holly berries or something, right? Oh, yeah. And, and they upgrade it like an extra spell slot level until you run out so if you're a really good wizard and you're really smart what you can do is you can start messing with other gm casters by casting things like silence or darkness or restraining them because doing things like that restricts the spells that uh, NPCs can cast because you can res- restrict the verbal components by silencing everyone mm-hmm. you can restrict the um so if you bind someone, they can't gesture to make spells. That's cool. So you can do all sorts of things. So it'd be like, oh, I bound him. So he can't actually cast, you know, get out of jail free card. That's okay. So, so David, I'm guessing you do use these in your games. Uh, I, tr- I try to keep track of them. And if they're in my favor, then I bring them up. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that's <laughs> because, the most David thing I've ever because, heard. Uh, yeah. Cause you talk about the game balance and you kind of <laughs> abhor my whole concept of just kind oh, of yeah. like making them, you know, that, that sounds about right. But like, <laughs> I think these, the verbal material somatic, those things are what keep the actual game balanced. Cause if you oh, look yeah, at like the are. really high level spells or the really crazy, like teleport spells or, or resurrection, which I don't use, uh, but any of those spells, they require like, a, a well-cut diamond or like mm-hmm. something that's like very expensive. And, and I think that oh, yeah. does kind of balance it because it's like, okay, these high level insane spells require some form of either economic sacrifice or eight hours of your time sacrifice, you know? Well, in general, a lot of them just require that you to have the diamonds. They don't actually consume them on cast only some of them actually burn up the components. Like, for example, I think Identify doesn't actually use the the 100 gold pearl. It just requires that you have it. That's so weird. That is so much Whereas things like Resurrection... Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of that. Like, actually using that. Like, because I think the the component for uh, Fireball is... uh, Like, I can't imagine looking at my players, like, I cast Fireball, and looking at him being like... Uh, do you have several ounces of bat guano? Because <laughs> that's what's required to cast fireball. And well, it's you can just also so... have a spell focus, which is kind of like a it's like a magical uh, takes away a magical component? channel that that kind of substitutes for components. 
Hmm. I mean, See, this just staff that does that. It just sounds like I'm looking at like a video game that I've never played before, and I'm like looking at it like, okay, I guess I guess that makes sense, but like, I'd have to actually play that game, which I'm clearly not. (laughs) I think I think I'm not sure about this, but I think that the the component pouch is like a magical pouch that kind of refills upon. And it has daily use enough in pearls and bat guano and yeah. infants to it's, sacrifice it's in order to like do your spells. It's kind of like a mini bag of holding for <laughs> wizard crap. Weird. Wizard and I guess that's why it's probably so expensive. Yes. Weird. That's so interesting. Like, yeah, because I'm looking at that. I'm like, I, I, it's just too much for me. And I, what's interesting is I have some players that I play with who are very numbers oriented. They like they like the game design aspect. They're like you, David. They like the crunchiness of the game. But even they look at the those different you know verbal somatic or material components and reagents and they're like okay that's a step too far (laughs) like they're just like i don't want to keep track of that you know even those type of players are kind of like like that takes a very committed player um and i think the one player that did play that, that played the best wizard in my my first campaign he 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 kept track of that and he would go to stores and he'd be like can i get a you know a, a lizard's tail and I'd be like, what? He's like, it's for a spell. I'd be like, okay, uh, it's, it's uh, two gold, <laughs> you know? And yeah, and, and that's just a feat of its own to be able to look at that and be like, yeah, I want to keep track of that too. Like that's a whole other aspect. What um, I would do is I would only do it for new spells that you either create or give to the player because then it's like, oh, you have to go out and get the resources to be able to cast it. But once you have the resources, like, you don't have to track it. Yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of fiddly. But I think if you're running a very specific kind of game or even a game with just one player, um, you could make a little quest out of like, oh, you have to go out and find oh, yeah. all the lizard tails to cast whatever. Um, but then I don't think that in general that's very fun or interesting. So, um, uh, so there's a video series that's just recently on YouTube where this guy is called The Animated Spellbook. And he talks all about different spells. Um, and he said he had an adventure where the players were um, fleeing from a pursuing enemy, and the one of the I think the wizard could cast Goodberry, and he wanted it to be like a survival game. But to, so Goodberry gives you enough food for five people, I think, like uh-huh. for a day. But it takes one Hollyberry to cast, and so he made them actually have to go out and find Hollyberries to to survive. And so he enforced it on this one spell and he said it made the whole campaign really interesting because um, it, it wasn't just this automatic, oh, I solved the problem and it didn't cost me anything because I'm a wizard. Yeah, weird. But weird. in general, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enforce such a thing. Hmm. So going back to kind of the what we were talking about earlier, kind of the thematic twists for like what a spell book could be, um, I love the idea. I've kind of pondered using it with um, maybe a warlock. Um or even maybe a paladin's oath, but like someone from the future coming <laughs> coming into the past and saying like, I need you to do this thing. Um, and so it kind of works better maybe as a warlock patron, but I like the idea of their wizard spells oh. coming from kind of a future being or like oh, they get, they get their spells from, I don't know, some maybe, maybe not necessarily future tech, but like, I, magic learned in the future and so the wizard or even like someone's appearing to them in their dreams mm-hmm. and they're like trying to guide them and that's to... where they're getting their yeah yeah that's so cool i love that that is cool um 
Or what if when you level up, you just get uh, an owl drops a letter in your lap with a bunch of scrolls <laughs> that have all of your new spells on them? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you weird. just have this like weird hidden benefactor who's just kind of like coaching Spooky you. Spooky and weird. From like nowhere. So I think looking at the wizard, I think they're perhaps the easiest class to be able to role play leveling up really well. Because they're literally learning new spells. And so you could explain how perhaps they found their new spell or how they learned it, whether it was some weird owl dropping it in their lap or a, a future <laughs> benefactor coming through a portal um, or just, you know, them writing down their new spells. I think with other classes, it's hard to think about how a fighter, you know, who's traveling suddenly learns a new battle master <laughs> maneuver. But like yeah. with a wizard, like you could really justify them maybe transcribing something they found or just simply rolling an intelligence check or an arcana check as they're reading a book and then learning a new spell. Like I think it really gives a lot of ways to role play the getting better at what you do aspect of D and So this gives me an idea for um, a type of wizard where you kind of get around the specific structure of leveling up, your wizard and getting all these spell slots at intervals mm-hmm. uh, where instead the wizard has to find some magical artifact, like just any magical artifact and they bundle it up or, or teleport it away or send it off to their school or their lab. And then they get a research spell in the mail back to them. And so they're Ooh. constantly learning new stuff. That's not tied to level progression. Like they're getting that's new slots and new, um, oh. new stuff. Yeah. I love that type of game where progression is tied to the story and it's not tied to, I've hit 600 XP and now there's the little bar above my head dings and there's a little bit of fireworks and yeah. I have a few spells. Now. Yeah. Kind of weird. It is. It's very MMO-esque. Yeah. Well, it can be, but I mean, D&D is a game mm-hmm. or at least something like a game at the end of the day. And so I don't know how to really track unless you're doing... Um, the Elder Scrolls thing where you do specific skills to level up in them. And even then you're still tracking a number that's going up kind of arbitrarily. So yeah. I don't know if there's a solution yet. Right, the last idea I had for a unique spell book is what I call the gambit. And that's just a deck of cards that the wizard hauls around. Oh, yeah. Um, and yep. so you just like throw them out and then a spell flashes into existence. Um, I don't know how that would work. Cause it seems kind of like you're just throwing spell scrolls at people, which is not wise. Um, <laughs> that seems awesome. <laughs> oh my uh, maybe gosh. You, like one parchment paper of a spell scroll, you cut into like six cards. I would love if you were an actual magician. <laughs> so you're just a, like a black and white wand yes and a top hat and a top hat you have a rabbit that lives in your hat that's your familiar that's your familiar oh my oh gosh boy. see i was thinking the opposite i was thinking a barbarian <laughs> that is wielding just two spell scrolls that he's just hitting people with <laughs> <laughs> he like makes them into gloves and he's punching people and he and just he, like, like little poofs of magic come out. <laughs> like he read the scroll and it said like, oh, this causes fire damage. He was like, okay. And he just rolls up the scroll and starts hitting people. With <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> oh, it's man. a barbarian with one level of wizard. Like how would that work? Oh, <laughs> That's great. He can, he can barely read a scroll. Um, all right. So I want to move into schools of magic because there are, um, I believe, eight of them. Yes. Uh, let's just go through them and talk about kind of what you get from them. Oh, okay. <clears throat> David, uh, would you start us off? Yeah. So the first school of magic, we have abjuration, which is 
kind of just warding um arcane defense, defense. okay yeah it's it's going to be a lot more combat focused and it's going to be a lot more on the physical aspect of combat you know shields things like that so this is um backing up just for a second uh is it level three that you get to choose your specialization it's actually at level two, which you get to choose um, your specialization. But that's even better. So if you're abjuration, then you is this for like a melee kind of caster? It seems odd to me. Uh um kind of. So you can go melee with wizard. It's not the not, best. Not recommended. <laughs> not recommended, but it is uh, it's just more of a uh, I actually haven't done a lot with the abjuration tree. To me, this seems like um, you would go into this. You just take two levels of wizard to get the shield spell, the arcane ward. Oh, yeah. And, and then the rest of your class is a fighter or some other melee class. Yeah. Because this could... is like a, what, plus two AC bump, I think, with that, that ward. Something like that, yeah. So so is mage have... armor an abjuration spell? Um, That's a great yes. question. Mage armor is an abjuration Yes. Spell. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense because it's it's all. Aha! Uh-huh. I know my stuff. <laughs> no, I I like I like this kind of magic. It makes me think of um, Violet's superpower from The Incredibles, like just kind of oh, a yeah. uh, shield based, um, you know, kind of without the invisibility, but like the just the making barriers, um, which can be done in really creative ways. I also um, like to I think of uh, Doctor Strange when he has his little like defense shields yeah yeah yeah. that he can kind of move around that's very abjuration-y so just to make sure that our fans don't cry foul um the actual rules for the arcane ward um it gives you temporary hit points equal to twice your wizard level plus your intelligence modifier so that is a um pretty minor uh, little bump in health so that's whenever you cast an abjuration spell at first level or higher. Yeah, so it's just a small buffer whenever you're casting spells. So as long as you're casting, then you are just more tough, which you're is just getting. Cool. Yeah. So you, as a wizard, God, this this shows how much I I don't even know what the wizard is. <laughs> do you get two or three or one? How many of these schools of magic do you get to pick? You get one, you get one. school of magic. Okay. So this okay. is like your specialization. So imagine when you go to university, you pick a major. Okay. This is your okay. major in the arcane world. So the first one is abjuration, and then the next one would be conjuration. And what does that mean? So conjuration is summoning. It's it's kind of like your. See, I, I know guess this. It's your dimensional manipulation is what I would Wait, say. Did, I, want to hear your I, I know this from uh, the Oblivion, you know, Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion. Because oh, yes. because conjuration was just the easiest thing to level up because I think you got points in it like uh, XP from just summoning creatures over and over and so you kind of just switch <laughs> over and like summon this weird feral hell beast that followed you around and you would get just XP for it following you around or something like that I may be wrong but I remember leveling up that conjuration so so conjuration this one really you know the word brings a vivid picture to my mind as opposed to abjuration which just sounds like a silly fake word but like conjuration (laughs) is like i'm thinking portals i'm thinking just basically summoning creatures like not necessarily necromancy but like many items yeah planes of existence connecting and stuff like that Mm -hmm. that's exactly right and uh, i think it's a really cool class one of the th- it has some really cool features just in the in the level abilities. So the first one is you can create an inanimate object at level two, which is just 
It hmm. it lasts Whoa. for, I think, for an hour. Wait, so yeah. that's not an illusion. No, it's not. It's, it's it a has real a, thing. It has a like a magical aura, but it's just you know it disappears after an hour. But it's a real tangible. Thing. It's weird. Like a real, f- so, yeah. So you could like conjure a, a diamond and yes. like sell it to a shopkeeper. Yeah, but it has like a magical aura, so you'd be able to tell. Oh, like even the untrained mm-hmm. eye would tell. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it's visibly magical, radiating dim light. I see. Yes. Oh, that's well, interesting. Well, I found a magical diamond, shopkeeper. <laughs> Buy it from me. I mean, you could, but. You give it to the bard and just have him roll. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other feature I like is uh, the transposition, where you can just, you have a, a quick little teleport as a, a feature, not even a spell, that you can just teleport oh you can swap places with another creature up to 30 feet away yes that's that's powerful so if you oh get gosh. surrounded by a bunch of monsters in combat you just cast your yeah. thing so if you're surrounded and the paladin's far away you just swap with the paladin oh my and now gosh the paladin's in the middle of that's all so the slippery and cool. i feel like i am just in class and i'm learning <laughs> so many cool new things i'm like oh oh okay oh, wizards <laughs> are actually cool yeah there's actually a lot of really cool things in the wizard and the next one is probably the most powerful. It is the divination. Divination. Okay, so this one, Jake, you're gonna love. Okay. Um, it has. Um, we kind of talked about this earlier. Portent, and it says um, when you finish a oh, long yeah. rest, so you, you wake up, yawn and stretch and blink, and then you roll two d20s and you write down the numbers, and then you can, you can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check, which, as far as I know, is any roll yes. in D and D with one of those so if a monster crits you you say no and you swap out his crit with the the two that you rolled that morning yeah Whoa. so he misses the attack that's incredible so it's yeah. so i imagine it as uh, you're just playing this character who's just getting glimpses of reality like as they're dreaming and then when they wake up they they go and they're about to make the oh. mistake that they would have made and then they and then they dodge out of it it's oh, almost like that's a cool. quantum wizard where you yes. see all the possibilities but you can only move around so many a day mm-hmm. oh okay that's so really cool. so i have in my games um i have a kind of school of magic it's not it's mainly used for like a main npc for kind of the rise of tiamat homebrew i have um that he kind of sees the future would he technically i called it chronomancy um, oh, is yeah. that technically the same thing as divination? It's divination. Okay. Um, yes, probably. It was like probably. time magic and like being able to uh, look at uh, it predict probabilities and look around at like possible timelines. I think that this sounds so a lot cool. like it. Yeah. Um, I it makes me want to play a wizard just so I can have those d twenties. Yeah. And then I would play as a halfling, so I'm lucky and I can. Re- oh my god! <laughs> Wait, does the does the lucky feet apply to your portent? I don't think so because I think it's yeah that wouldn't make sense yeah yeah um, god that would be still, insane okay, yeah it's still good yeah absolutely so the next school we have uh, is enchantment oh yes so enchantment is all about charming people and manipulating the 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 willingness it's a mind tricks it's Jedi of, mind tricks that's yes. a school. <laughs> Of other, of other creatures. It's messing with people's minds. Mm. It's probably one of the weaker wizard It seems schools. to be. It seems like it's kind of like illusion, but like focused worse. only on like characters. It's illusion, but worse. Yeah. Mm. Um, definitely. I would definitely say that. So you're. it's all about playing a character that is 
charismatically manipulating people without being charismatic. Yeah, I'm reading through it now. It doesn't like they have an ability called um, like they can hypnotize people, which is like whatever in melee range. Uh, but at sixth level, when somebody tries to attack you, you can make them do a spell save, or, and then they have to attack somebody else. But then oh, compare cool. that to, to teleporting away thirty feet. <laughs> that's just faster and better. So yeah, that I'm, is I'm imagining a really interesting like. Um, very uh, diplomatic political intrigue game, oh. uh, almost like a Curse mm. of Strahd campaign with an enchantment wizard, and I feel like that could be really cool. And this could be also cool um, as a like a multi-class dip um, for like a warlock or something. Yeah, so that way you have access to these really um, powerful mind control things. But then you could just take the spells for suggestion and. Um, What's, uh, anyway, there's other yeah. mind control spells, and then you don't have to waste your levels. I think so a, I don't know how I feel about it. A lot of this depends on like what your spell save it or not your spell save, or I guess technically your spell save, but like your main stat. And like for mm -hmm. this, like enchantment seems like your main stat should be charisma, but it's actually yeah. intelligence, and it's basically like turning your intelligence into charisma, which is yeah kind of weird but i i don't know like i said i feel like this could be really cool for like a political intrigue like game of thrones like uh you know oh yeah game or even just having a group of people like maybe a faction and all of them are at least second level enchantment wizards <laughs> so nobody can get near them because they just enchant them into leaving so they've never been attacked and they live like oh and no one can really explain world. why yeah exactly like, we don't really want to attack them and we don't know why we go that's... in and then we always leave <laughs> that's actually um, yeah there's there's a there's a plot hook cool. there <laughs> yeah dude there's always plot hooks next we have the school of evocation oh okay okay this is this is what my wizard was okay um i would yeah. consider this the bread and butter oh, wizard yeah. class and by that i mean it is it's very elemental focused you're focusing on spells that are like fireball they're they're gonna be like lightning bolt lightning bolt flame strike flame strike firebolt <laughs> you have all of butter these spells blast. which are very <laughs> that's the school of um, of baking uh, <laughs> yeah pa pastry school <laughs> pastry school that's in xanathar get pasted kid <laughs> okay this this class is one of the one of the default wizards that you would you you probably gonna find in your games and it is it's pretty good it does pretty good damage when you look at their abilities they get some bonuses to uh, damages and to spell saves oh. and things like that okay i'm just reading through here and i'm getting so excited so um they get the ability to sculpt spells so let's say you throw a fireball into a group, oh. group of your friends um you can just make that spell mold itself to not affect them which is super cool oh um at sixth level, you can boost up your cantrips. Um, basically, saving throws no longer save for half. They're just going to take damage. But the best one is called over channel. That's when you uh, cast a spell at level one to five. You just deal maximum damage with the spell. <gasps> Whoa! What is was that like? You do that once a day or what? That's insane. Um, the first time you do so, it has no adverse effects. But if you use it again before you finish a long rest, you take 2d12 necrotic damage immediately after you cast it. For each level of the spell. Oh, yeah. that's so, you, so cool. So you could push in and just like yeah. start killing yourself, um, oh. which I definitely would do. That's, that's Yeah, I would too. about the warlock in World of Warcraft that hurts mm -hmm. himself. This is that, which I freaking love. Yeah. Wow.
But you gotta be level 14, so that's kind of rough. I so, might actually give them an item that does that. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, like, uh, isn't the highest spell that I can think of, like, damage-wise, like, both visually and what I know from the, the 5e spell list, is, like, Meteor Storm? Is is that evocation? Probably. Uh, it probably would it's be. It's, like, a ninth level. another school that it would be. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, the, the well, huge <laughs> AoE damage Meteor spell. Meteor Storm. Dude, D&D Beyond is, like, so good. <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised because they push it really hard, which from like a PR standpoint, I'm like, okay. But then I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Um, Meteor Swarm. This message is brought to you by D&D Beyond, which are not sponsors, but we would love for them to be. (laughs) Please sponsor us. (laughs) I'm begging you. So Meteor Storm is a ninth level spell. It's got a range and area of one mile, a one um, spherical mile. That's that's crazy. And then uh, every, every creature, blah, 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 dexterity saving throw, a creature takes 20d6 fire damage and 20d6 bludgeoning damage. Oh. On a failed save. On a failed and then save. half as much on a successful one. Whoa. This See, is that's, a great. Yeah. I, I I guess that makes sense. Like evocation. Because you get ninth level spells for a wizard, what, at level 18, 19? It's pretty high up. You're basically yeah. done with the game at that point. Yeah, you're you're entering demigod status, and so I like. I think yeah, I think when most people think of a wizard, they think of of evocation. Like they yeah. think of yeah, that I type agree. of damage dealing, like glass cannon blaster in the back. It's it's funny because I would almost call it elementalism. Um, there's a board game I love called Wiz War, and they have elemental. Oh, um, and this this is more in line with that. Mm-hmm. And but I yeah, think this is the closest one. Maybe why I like it so much is I think this is the closest one to the sorcerer, like because it's kind oh of more gosh. damage focused, and it's more <laughs> about kind of like gambling with your spells or or making your spells do different things and kind of being creative with them. And it's mostly damage and mostly uh, offensive. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Next, we have what I think is one of the most interesting schools and schools for the most creative players. It's the School of Illusion. Ooh, yes, yeah, yeah. I agree. So this 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 school is all about just manipulating how people see reality and what other people can see and making it come to fruition. It's there are so the spells that you can do are they there's so much that you can do with them and it's just up to you to be creative in how you manipulate these spells and abuse them for your power yeah i think these are perfect for my type of game which are normally more diplomacy based or you know social because you can like use Mm -hmm. these illusions to just add to your web of lies that you're stringing and it's it's so cool and like yeah and you can scare people away by just having a fake minotaur just show up out of yeah. nowhere and there's and there's so many cool role playing aspects with yeah. the illusion that it's it's one of the best so um, it oh, opens up ahead. some weird potential um, cuz you get a uh, minor illusion just for taking the school uh, you have the ability to just to change them and and do weird things um, but at 14th level, you get illusory reality, which means your illusions have a semi-reality. Um, <laughs> it says, when you cast an illusion spell at first level or, or higher, you choose one inanimate, non-magical object, and you make that object real. And it remains <sighs> real for one minute. So you could, um, I don't know if you could summon a minotaur or some something, uh, or an axe. 
Um, but then if you combine that with a spell called Hallucinatory Terrain, which is only a fourth level spell, you could put enemies into like a terrifying nightmare maze and you could make parts oh. of it real and they, they just get trapped As- and lose They would assume the rest is real too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so you could do some really twisted stuff. I like, I was thinking of this and I'm thinking like illusion magic kind of fits with like more of a rogue or a warlock. And, but then I, I was thinking like, what does this look like at higher levels? And that just answered my question. Like, that's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah. The ability to just completely just manipulate what reality looks like. I, it, I'm just thinking Dr. Strange yeah. when he's manipulating, like how the like mental, the, how the streets are just bending upwards, oh. and there's just like fractal, like crystal imagery everywhere. Like this is this is that, and if that appeals to you, be an illusionist. Now I will say that this this class does take a higher level of creativity than yeah. any other of the wizard subclasses, and you really have to push yourself in order to. Uh, get the most out of this class otherwise it's not going to be as good as say evocation or the divination no i I think that makes sense because like when you get a spell called fireball basically what you do is aim where you want the fireball to hit right Mm -hmm. with this it's like you can make anything (laughs) it's like oh my gosh like you are literally unrestricted with what like it's unlimited creativity and um wow yeah just insane that um this would probably work better in a combat as war game because oh, yes. like let's say you have an army charging across the battlefield to you and you you cast uh, something that makes them think they're walking through a swamp right and they they slow down they react and then um, you just trick them into weakness and then you kill them um, in a lot of ways if evo or what was it called if the school of evocation is um, giving you a fireball, it's like giving you a tool that makes sense and you know how to use it, right? Like they give you a hammer, you know how to use a hammer. But the school of illusion is like they give you a plumbus. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, what do I do with this? Well, how does this work? Tool. It's like, just, just, <laughs> so just it's, plumb. It's up to you to figure out how to and use it. And then you touch the plumbus and it wasn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think a, a huge example of this on a large scale is at the start of uh, the first season of Critical Role, there, uh, someone casts an illusion magic. There's like this big chasm, and there's a huge army running at them. And all they do is make the chasm look a little bit smaller than it actually is. Oh and gosh. so, like half the army just falls into the chasm because they thought the cliff was like four feet farther than oh it actually gosh. was. And it's so it fits into the whole combat as war. Like you have to do these tricks in order to make the fight more fair. And like it's That's just amazing. so cool, yeah. Oh, I just want to play an illusion wizard now. I want to so play bad. all of the wizards. I, now. I just never want to play a class <laughs> other than a wizard. God, it's, it's hard to for me to admit, but <laughs> these are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, these are pretty darn. Cool. All right, and then oh, uh, the next one is the school of necromancy. Oh, school of death. This is the class. This is the school that you pick if you want to be the Lich King. <laughs> so okay, I, how does this work? I've never seen this. Like, is it really restricted? Is it really like, oh, you only get one zombie that can follow you around, or is it like you have an army of undead, or do you just like resurrect only what you've killed? Like, how does this work? So I'm looking through on D and D Beyond because this is just so great. Um, looks like at second level you get the ability to just steal life energy from creatures you kill so you're healing yourself as you kill things mm-hmm. um, at sixth level you get animate dead but it's just the spell on your spell book 
Um, and then when you cast it, you get to target one additional corpse or pile. So it looks like pile, a pile of bones. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you create, so that's two two servants. Mm-hmm. So the spell is twice as good, mm-hmm. uh, but it also increases their max hit points and um, adds your proficiency to their damage rolls. So that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like at just at sixth level, you automatically will always have two zombies or skeletons or a combination, mm-hmm. um, just boning around. <laughs> tenth level, <laughs> um, at tenth level, you're resistant to necrotic damage. Your that's max really good. Can be reduced. That's interesting. Um, wow, those are really, especially for like if you look at um, like out of the abyss campaigns or tomb of annihilation, like oh, the, the maximum hit point drain is like a yeah, really, and like threat, necrotic yeah, damage is just omnipresent throughout those. Like <clears throat> weird. Oh, okay. At fourteenth level, um, you command undead, which lets you bring undead under your control, even those created by other wizards. So you just target any undead, and they make a charisma saving throw, and if they fail, you control them now. So you just could find a place with a lot of undead, and you just control them, and now you have an army of undead to do whatever you want, and that's crazy. So is there any limit to the amount? Well, well, that's not exactly true, because it says, uh, and it obeys you until you use this feature again, so you use it on one, and then you use it again on a different one, and that oh, one falls away. That's kind of lame. I, I, um, and huh. then they make a saving throw every hour, if they're smart enough. Yeah. So... But I, in that case, you would want to go find a big, a big beefy boy. Big beefy boy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think, I think that the 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 necromancer, I think it might be a little weak from what I've seen. But otherwise, it's. I think I love the flavor of the necromancy wizard, yeah. just having just a bunch of skeletons follow you around, just carrying around your books and such, and just the looks <laughs> that you get as you're walking down the street with just these blatant, just undead, decaying bodies, oh. and just imagining the villagers just reacting like, why do you have those creatures with you? That's just a lot of attacks per turn, because you could still take, like, find familiar, yeah. and then have that take the form of some undead thing. Oh, you know, um, Yeah. And then you have your attack plus the three um, mm-hmm. things following you around. Like that, that's like a little army. Like that's mm-hmm. in some parties that could be doubling the size of the party. Um, wow! So I think in the hands of a clever player, you really could um, do some creepy, gross, and very cool stuff. Yes, you get a lot of extra manpower <laughs> or bone power. Bone <laughs> power. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's next? And right, then the la- oh wait this is the second to last one no this is the last one. Oh, well, well, counting okay, Xanathar's so, yeah so this is the this is the last one in the official player's handbook and it is the school of transmutation you modify energy and matter yes so this is turning one thing into another this is turning all sorts of fun <laughs> um, like wood into stone or into into lead or silver or gold it's it's all about manipulating and turning hmm. and That's shifting weird. things. Yeah, into I'm lost. Things. So is this this is different than conjuration or enchantment or illusion? Yeah. So it's, it's just second kind of... level. It says um, you can temporarily alter the physical properties of one object. Um, for, so you spend ten minutes doing it, and you can turn something that's like made of entirely of stone or wood or anything, any solid material, and you change it into a different material. But then. Um, after an hour, it turns back into what it was. So I don't oh. know if that's... I, so I imagine like, turning a stone wall into dirt. 
and then being able to dig through it. That's actually pretty cool. That is That's so super there, cool. But I feel like this could does this not yeah. break the everything? <laughs> it could. <laughs> well, ten minutes. It could. And then at and then at sixth level, you get what's called the transmuter stone. So you create a transmuter stone that stores that stores transmutation magic, and then you can gain the benefit yourself or give it to another creature. And then you get all sorts of cool benefits for having this so you, thing. Yeah, you choose one of the features for your stone. Uh, dark vision, 60 feet. Move 10, 10 more feet faster. Okay. Increase your speed by 10 feet. Um, you get proficiency in constitution saving throws or a resist an element of your choice. One element. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can only have one at a time. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. So you just choose what buff you want that, yep. uh, that day. It's eight hours. Um, huh. That's cool. It's like you make a little magic item. And mm-hmm. I think if you worked with your GM, he'd probably let you do other things. Yeah. Like um, even having feather fall on you all the time. Like that's yeah. not totally powerful, but it's something you might want in certain campaigns. Hmm. Uh, next, uh, at 10th level, you get polymorph, which is nice. Um, and then you can cast polymorph without expending a spell slot. But only on yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you can, so you can transmute into just small beasts. So you're basically a druid now. Like a, yeah, like a really lightweight druid, which could be useful in getting away, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I imagine this kind of wizard is just kind of a weird, odd, but I mean, this this fits into the aloof <laughs> wizard, I think. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a yes. guy like turn a stone wall into dirt and he turns around and looks at you and just says like, shh. And then, and then turns into a sparrow <laughs> and then flies away. Yeah, and, and everybody's like, who's that guy? He's not in our party. <laughs> um, okay, 14th level, you can consume your stone into a burst. Okay, so you, you your stone explodes uh, into a major transformation. So you turn something into something else. So you could transmute one non-magical item, object, no longer than a five-foot cube, into another non-magical object of similar size and mass and of equal lesser okay so you could just but it's permanent yes that's weird so i could turn um like a a bunch of iron ore into gold ore permanently like that's um of lesser value Equal or lesser. Dang it. Yeah. Dang See, it. So you can turn writers. A, I don't so you think could turn yeah. like, <laughs> I, so you could turn like a block of wood into just a big block of stone. <laughs> but unless it's worth more, David. God, this has been a no, no, no. roller coaster for about me. The same. <laughs> like of, of just like, that's so what, so what, really cool. And then I go, oh yeah, I remember why I hate the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm imagining is you just have someone just holding a big block of wood and then the, the the wizard turns it to stone and they just drop it on someone or lead. But then, so you're like, I'm going to carry all this bag full of wooden blocks and then I'll change them into stone and we'll drop it. Like that's, you know, maybe a clever person can make this work well, but I, I okay. That's just one of the things. Or you can explode your stone um, to remove all d- curses, diseases, and poisons afflicting a creature you touch and also heals them to full health. So that's great. It's like a, a ultimate potion. Um, or you can explode it to restore life. It casts raise dead on a creature you touch. That's actually useful. Mm-hmm. It requires no spell slot. And then the last one is called restore youth. Okay, the last one is restore youth. You just turn their age back in time. <clears throat> so you you just get younger. We had a, a cleric that fought a ghost in my in two campaigns ago, and he was aged forty years in one combat. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "What do I do?" Because he went from being like fifty years old um, to being an old, old, 
feeble man. And I was like, I don't know how to turn you back. Okay, finally, we've arrived at the last one. This is from Xanathar's Guide. It's called War Magic. And this, this is just your quintessential um, melee-type wizard. So if you don't like fighters and you don't like any of the other melee classes, um, you could be a wizard with War Magic. Huh, I, I love this concept apply like because this fits into world building like I, I like the idea of like legions of soldiers from whatever empire is in charge like having you know every every 50 soldiers they have one war caster that is like uh assisting the troops and doing crowd control and like i, I don't know i love how this fits into i mean at, like it says on the tin war like these people they can fit like a soldier background of like a wizard being involved in conflicts throughout the continent. Like, I don't know. I, I, this one really, I like this. There's a lot of books. Yeah, cool. Um, so just really quickly, uh, they get an AC bonus, which makes sense. Otherwise you're just going to die on one hit. Um, uh, oh, you get tactical wit, which lets you add your initiative to rolls, uh, for, or add your intelligence to initiative rolls. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, makes sense to me. It seems, um, it seems weird that there's no other classes that do that um this one i like at six level you can store magical energy in yourself oh it's called a power surge um whenever you cast a spell magic or counter spell you gain a surge and you can use that surge to deal damage so that's that's cool because it, it, it encourages you to constantly be dispelling or counter spelling which has a nice war battlefield feel hmm. so that is all the specializations for the wizard who made it what a roller coaster Cause, cause I'm seeing like why I, why I've neglected the wizard. I'm like, okay, that could be great. And then also why I hate the wizard. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's uh, it's a mixed bag. I think, yeah, there's definitely some specializations that I would gravitate toward transmutation. Probably I wouldn't, um, but I, I think I want to play necromancer. All right. Mm. So uh, we've agreed that the wizard is perfect and needs no improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so really quickly, I want to touch on, um, another universe and how they handle magic. Uh, that's the Warhammer fantasy world. Um, I thought it was really unique, so I've included it here. So in Warhammer, magic comes from a portal that goes into, I guess, this magical space and time, like terrifying realm, and all of the, the different kinds of magic flow out of it and down into the, the world. Um, so there's, there's all um, the different instead of schools of magic, you have the winds of magic. And... Um, different people can tap into that wind but it's really dangerous and so they're all different colors and they all represent different things and so um, they have uh, the white wind is like the lore of light so uh, whereas dnd would, would have the schools we just listed um, light is going to be more like your holy and divine magic i think i'm not a warhammer fantasy expert um so if, just correct me if i'm wrong but this is as i understand it um <clears throat> the blue wind is the lore of the heavens which maybe that's divine you see i don't really know what i'm talking about um <laughs> yellow is is metal they have a, a type of magic that's just relating to metal which i think is really weird huh. um it's also important to know that in warhammer because magic is so volatile and unstable the more you use it the more your person takes on the form of that's that type of magic so a wizard who's been using the the lore of metal their whole life the yellow wind eventually their body starts to turn into metal and so imagine a high level <laughs> wizard in a um like a dolly being wheeled around the battlefield by his apprentices so he can cast like his high powered spell really weird stuff um the green wind is the lore of life which makes sense i think of more like druid stuff um however there's also the brown wind um <laughs> Sounds kind of funny when the you say it. Okay, yeah, that, I mean, come on. Uh, the, 
Yeah, the joke must be made. Uh, the brown one is the lore of beasts, and I don't really know why they separate it out like that, but beast school, totally weird, totally unique. I I'm going like to beast school, dudes. <laughs> um, red wind. Uh, David, can you guess which which wind the red wind represents? Fire. Blood. Yeah. Oh. Oh, well, actually, no, it's just fire. Um, then the gray wind, this is sort of necromantic. It's shadow and just spooky, scary stuff. And purple, or maybe purple. Wait, is, hold on, hold on. You I said think. necromantic? Is that really? Necromantic. Oh, my uh, gosh. English, English is a language that new words I, are added to every year, that's Jake. Going, that's added, that's added into my Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> necromantic. <laughs> um, so maybe oh, I was no. wrong. So the, the purple wind is a lore of death, and the gray wind is a lore of shadow. It seems like they kind of go together. Um, but it, once again, like the more you tap into it, the more you become that. So imagine a necromancer just by using that, they become more undead and, and look Ooh. like death. Yeah. Or even shadow, like this shadow wizard transforms into something oh. that's no longer like totally physical. It's mm. just more of um, spicy. I like the yeah. idea of magic affecting you physically and like having repercussions that. because like magic kind of how David, you were saying, like, it's kind of like a science it almost feels yeah. like a cop out. You can just be like bibbity bobbity boo and like do all these crazy things without any like kind of physical repercussions oh, yeah. to your mind it or is body. Very, very Harry Pottery in that it's it's very sterile, controlled, and known thing. Whereas mm-hmm. in Warhammer, it's like you are trading your life and well being to tap into this really wild uh, force. Yeah. And I I love that because I like having magic be more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about. Um, Eberron is a D&D setting and magic is ubiquitous and it's everywhere. So in that world, you'll see necromancers who have enchanted the dead bodies of whoever has died recently and they're pulling the plows on the farms mm-hmm. um, because it's just everywhere and that's life. You have cities just full of undead doing all the yeah, labor. Yeah, doing menial labor. And uh, I don't know if I like that because I like having magic be more mysterious and dangerous. Yes. And spicy. And spicy, as David says. <laughs> mm, if everything's spicy, then nothing is. <laughs> Imagine a world where every single food was spicy. <laughs> Even breakfast. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so... Um, it's like, oh, this habanero breakfast cereal. <laughs> so, um, now that we've finished... Uh, wizards uh which i i don't know if i still we think they're the, them yet. i don't think they're the worst class but um i think a lot of the, the wizards have kind of been redeemed for me I, i've learned a lot i feel mm. like i've sat in a classroom and learned what a wizard actually is because i was just stubborn and being like <laughs> uh wizards but what do you guys think of like are some cool character concepts for wizards like that are unique that aren't just like oh i studied and i want to be good at shooting fire like, like that are really unique things. <laughs> hmm. So, I, compared to my ideas that I had for um, the last class thing we did, I think we did fighters. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any that come to mind um, beyond what we've already talked about. Um, but I do like the way Diablo three handled their wizard and their backstory. There was was a person who was just very talented, very gifted, just born with it. You know, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. There's some things you can say in a room of people that you know they will yeah. respond with the right line, and that's one of them. Um, so, yeah, she's born with it, and she goes away to a, an academy, and she finds that no instructor can challenge her, and everything is easy. And so there's there's nothing – like, it's boring for them. And so they actually go out into the world just to find a challenge um, because they are just awesome and amazing, even at level one. So that is my concept. It's based on huh. the oh. wizard. I love – Pirate wizards. Pirate wizards. 
So <laughs> what a what a strange universe we live in that someone can say that. I'm can we so clip happy. that out and just have it as my ringtone for David? I love pirate wizards. <laughs> Wow, I'm glad that this okay. universe exists that you can say that. So, <laughs> this is the dankest timeline. <laughs> so let me let me explain. So I'm just imagining this character who grew up on the seas, and as they've been traveling around the world, they've been gathering these scraps of knowledge and slowly learning and improving themselves and being able to cast spells, and they just continue to sail the high seas stealing information from people who are go traveling around the world trying carrying these valuable books and they're just gathering the knowledge as they as they rob these intellectuals of their knowledge hmm. in, in order to uh. get stronger themselves i know how i would do that you would have like this little ship's cabin boy um who finds like um Maybe he finds that familiar, that parrot yeah. in a cave, and, and he thinks it's just a pet, but then it can talk to him, oh. and it's it's teaching him spells over time, um, and so that's why he's not just instantly like, level <laughs> nine, is because he did, he has to just like learn the vocabulary and get educated, um, and maybe he's finding magical artifacts like you have a cutlass or something. I think that this would work really well for a war magic type because you are that that swashbuckling hero, oh, yeah, but you have spells, which uh, it you know that's really exciting to me, huh? I, I think. My answer to this question, originally, like, all my concepts I'm thinking of kind of just turn into sorcerers. Uh, but I think I really, really love the idea of a necromancer that is lawful good. And, like, just having oh, a yeah. really, oh. really, like, paragon of virtue type character that just is a necromancy wizard. And mm. I really like the concept of, like, trying to overcome that... Um, Stigma. Yeah, yeah, that stigma. And it would also kind of to echo that stigma even more, maybe make the, the character like a half work or a tiefling or even a drow. Oh, no. Like something where it's like it's just double racism slash stigma slash you kind mm -hmm. of are judged oh. by everyone. You know, because imagine you think of like a drow uh <laughs> necromancer. It's like uh evil, 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 <laughs> evil, right? <laughs> but evil, like yeah. making like trying to make a lawful good character that is like, you know, a drow or a tiefling necromancer like i don't know i find that really intriguing it would be interesting even to have an npc um if, if you couldn't get this concept off the ground um who has their undead servants sort of dressed up and disguised like people so it oh. just looks like they're traveling through the city always with the same entourage that, that kind of smells <laughs> bad um just but they're they're really a person in hiding who's protected with this really strange match that no one recognizes. Oh, I'm just imagining it's just they're wearing shades and it's like weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> and they oh, and they and you, you always try to talk to them and they're always just like Arr. Oh, that's that's Ralpho. Don't don't talk to him. He's uh he's real tired right now. <laughs> it's it's kind of the twist from uh, the prestige, right? Like yeah, the assistant really is, is oh, the magic. Oh my gosh. Okay, that is incredible. Like having like an obvious wizard with like two skeletons walking behind, but the actual wizard is like the skeleton to the left. Oh it's my in an gosh. illusion. <laughs> oh, that's, that's and then like you you cast magic mouth on the um oh. on the, the the real you know the quote unquote wizard, yeah. the zombie. And so everyone thinks they're talking to you, but it's essentially a puppet. Oh and so maybe gosh. one day um somebody like assassinates the wizard. The throat. Yeah. But they don't die, right? Like that's the thing, is you can't kill this wizard. Yeah. Oh, and then the oh. skeleton just like suddenly whoosh, turns into the actual wizard. That is so cool. 
Okay, I'm in. Jake, I'm going to give yours the uh, the nod. I, I really love Seal it. Seal of approval. <laughs> Boom. Oh. We're doing a new segment this week. Hopefully, it'll, uh, we'll do one each week. This is our mailbag. Our listeners are writing in, and uh, they're just too good to pass up. So, um, reach into the bag of holding. I reach into the mailbag of holding, uh, and I pull out a letter from Bryant B. He says, quote, Hey, I was wondering how you felt about foreshadowing boss fights. I had my players at level 1 meet a level 8 boss and 4 level 5 minions. It was supposed to simulate a party wipe, but having it planned, I dropped the leader of the guild they worked for on top of them after they were all down. Down meaning... Um, Knocked out. <laughs> unconscious. KO'd. Looking at my players' reaction to the story, some were okay or excited. Uh, excited how I did it, while others seemed mad. What's your take on this? So it sounds uh, like he orchestrated a party wipe for mm. sort of a cinematic moment, kind of a, that video game thing where you're, mm. oh, there's no hope, and then you're rescued at the last second. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, I have thoughts on this. So I think that foreshadowing and doing stuff like this can be really cool, and it, mm. can, and it can have really nice payoffs later on. But I don't know if I necessarily agree with killing the party right away. No. For lack of a better word. So I just want to like kind of explain how I feel as a player when this happens to me. Is uh, if I go up against something which I'm not meant to defeat. I kind of, it kind of discourages me as a player from playing. Because it's not something that is meant to be beat. It's not meant to be interacted with. It's just, I'm supposed to sit there and let it happen. It's almost a form of railroading. Because your players don't have a chance or a choice or an option of doing anything other than losing. It is, but it is masqueraded mm -hmm. in a system that feels like you can do stuff. Because in combat, if you go up against something, you assume that you're going to be able to defeat it by overpowering it. But in this combat scenario, you are clearly not meant to. Oh, which uh, it, it feels bad. So I'm on team Brian right here. Uh, I, <laughs> I, so I think like, like I've said many times, Dungeons and Dragons is this weird dance between the players and the dungeon master. And you have to really communicate, you know, what, what the game is, what the themes are, how the structure is. And the players have to tell, they have to give feedback. They can't just like go and text amongst themselves like oh our dm is an idiot you know there needs to be like a, a good dialogue and so for me i've done this on several occasions um and it's worked really really well because my players have accepted some degree of railroading from me because they trust my plot now i understand that is it almost doesn't it's almost not a game at that point it's almost like hey the dm's telling a story let's sit down and listen as opposed mm -hmm. to like, okay, maybe if we, uh, you know, just swing on the chandelier and hit him just right and coordinate everything, we can kill the final boss right when we meet him, you know? And it's like, I think my players have enough faith in me as a DM that when that happens, they trust the narrative process that I've created that it will pay off better later. And yeah. I think it's it's the communication of some players accepting that and some not. And like David said, he's like, if I didn't know, and it was just like, that would suck. And I think Brian, what you're saying is you have some players that are like, Ooh, okay. I'm excited for the next time we meet this villain and other players who are just kind of like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> and so I think it's, it's. So uh, one thing that I was just going to say is I, I kind of get where you're coming from where 
you have to make the players kind of understand that this is a storytelling moment. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would not have this have been a combat encounter. I would have just said, I would have kind of just made it more of a cutscene. So huh. in video games, mm -hmm. cutscenes are used to tell the story and move the plot forward. So I would have maybe had at most one round of combat and then start of narrate it, go on into a narration mode and been like, you just see the minions just begin to overpower you in combat and uh, slowly <laughs> but surely oh. your strength fails. And you just kind of narrate it from there and just try to put as much narration chops into it as possible. Wow. I totally disagree with both of you. Sorry. Guys. <laughs> um, no, okay. I, d I just don't think you should ever take away player agency. And I know he's trying to go for the cinematic moment. Mm -hmm. um, but putting them in a situation that they couldn't win... I, I wouldn't do it. Even narrating it, narrating it the way David would do it, I wouldn't do. But here's the thing. No, he didn't I'm, take away I'm player just... agency at all. He just gave them a fight that's very hard, and I'm guessing they didn't run away. No, but he intended them to to be knocked out and then be rescued. Like, it, it's railroading. Um, yeah. So, like, I think... It, so, his goal here was to make them meet the villain and, like, show them how... The power? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and I think you could do that in a different scene. Um, like, even just you meet him, you have a little role play moment, and then he sends his goons after you while he exits out the back. And then you get to have a fair fight. Um, or maybe, you know, he can even, like, just shoot someone. Like, they're unconscious in the first round. Like, you don't have to wipe the party. Oh. Um, or maybe um, they're already in a fight, and he comes up and, like, makes them have a huge disadvantage. Like, he casts a spell that makes an easy fight into a really hard fight. Okay, so I have something that's really interesting. The, the whole idea of, like, should you just make it a cutscene and make it, like, okay, and describe and kind of railroad them? I mean, not kind of, absolutely railroad them. Um, or do you give them the illusion of choice when there really isn't? And that's the really interesting debate of if you'd have that. But I think a story that I have, a personal story that really shows this off. One of the big, the best sessions of any role-playing game I've ever done was uh, in a game called uh, Super Random that we created. Uh, it's basically just like, you know, random superpowers um, and you have kind of these superheroes interacting with each other and it's very loosey-goosey and it's really fun. In this session, I had like basically this group of kind of Justice League Avengers, like a, a, a group of superheroes who had been playing together for a, a while. And, you know, they're, they're, a good team at this point. They know how to use teamwork and use their powers together to make cool things happen. So I started them off and I just said like no context. I was like, you guys are in a city and you guys are fighting uh, these, these robots. And so these robots just show up and you know, it's a very cliche fight. Um, but they're realizing these robots have a ton of health. Like they're not getting damaged and they start beating them like bad. And suddenly a player goes down and suddenly another superhero goes down. And suddenly they're like, oh my God. And then they see another superhero is ripped in half. Oh and they see gosh. another superhero is killed. And suddenly there's one guy left and he's like, oh my God, oh my God. And then he is dead. And I had players freaking out. They were getting up from the table leaving. They were like, they were so upset that this character, they put so much backstory and was just killed in front of them. And then I had one player who was playing kind of the Nick Fury type organizational character come out and just go... And just says, all right, guys, we can do better. And suddenly, like, all of the illusions fall and they were in a simulation. And they're all back to normal. But, like, and all the players were like, <sighs> like, because they, they thought it was real. And they thought their character, like, they're seeing their buddy be ripped in half in front of them. <laughs> 
like, and so what I did was I absolutely deceived the characters, but many of those players from that game will, will look back and be like, yeah, that I felt so much in that moment and I didn't know. And so I would ask my, my fellow co-hosts, do you guys think what I did was wrong? Or do you think what I did is deceptive to the point of you wouldn't do it? Uh, I think I would do that. No, I it, think because it was it wasn't real. Great. Like you were able to hit this undo button. Yeah. Um. But the problem for Bryant is that uh, it was really happening, even though they weren't really in quote unquote danger because they were going to be rescued. Um. Making the players. I don't. You see, I don't know. It's tough I, because I'm stick with my guns. because at the end uh, of the yeah. day, nothing. Like I don't know the the specifics of Bryant's situation, but like. I don't know if they lost anything permanently, you know, were all their magic items taken, you know, if they weren't like, oh, really, they're, yeah, they're, they're not, no harm really came of that encounter other than they got their, their butts kicked and the villain is now seen as more deadly. I don't know. I don't see the disadvantage the of thing this. Is like when you, yeah, when you see the railroad and you have no way of, and you know where it's going. It just kind of sucks because it's like, well, I'm here. I know where it's going. Okay. okay. We're I'm getting kind of, it. <laughs> We're getting really philosophical, I'm, but if you're reading like a Stephen King book, do you go, oh, I kind of see where this plot's going, and do you set down the book? Or do you go, no, I, I want to see how this ends. I trust the author to lead me into a place that is fulfilling. No, see, the, I've been a part of games where I've seen the railroad, and I've just been bored. So it wasn't a game, good... And I'm just like, no, and it wasn't a good conclusion because it was just kind of like these are the these are the, this is the roads this is where it's going you have uh -huh. no way of interacting with it this is how I it's going to end and hmm. if it doesn't end that way I'm gonna make it end that way yeah the way I would have foreshadowed a boss would be very differently because um, first of all I wouldn't have pushed the players into a fight with the big giant boss um, but I would have let them know. You know, there's all kinds of flashing signs saying, don't go this way. This is where the boss and all of his goons are like, you'll die if you go here. Uh, and so if they got into the situation, they would really die because they chose to ignore the warnings and go. Mm. Um, but that's just me. That's just the kind of game that I like to run. Yeah, I, I think so, Brian... I think having a... Go ahead, David. I think having a more social encounter with a boss and them showing their power against someone else would be much more interesting because... You can you get to interact with the boss and talk with them, and then you get to see them flex their muscles on someone else mm -hmm. who is about the same size or maybe bigger than you, and get to see them get destroyed. And then it's like, oh, oh yeah. crap! You set up another party that like was established as being more powerful than the real like main players, yeah. and then you have the boss kill them where the players can see it, and they're like, holy crap! Like he just walked over them, and that I think gives them the same feeling of like fear and, and threat as as doing this so brian i would i would task you with um because it sounds like your players are split um which is interesting which i would uh, whether you you know text them or uh send them a facebook message or whatever you do to communicate with them i would send them individually not as a party but individually and say like what do you think about this encounter how could i have done it better um did you did you feel like this was fulfilling did you did you not like me railroading you and all these things and get their independent insight and see what they liked or disliked about it. I think there's this weird thing in Dungeons and Dragons where you feel bad for critiquing the dungeon master because you know how hard they've worked on everything. And you feel like you don't want to be like, ah, oh, this could have been better. Or, oh, if you would have changed this one thing, it would have been so much better. But that communication like makes you a better dungeon master. So that yeah, I would just push I for that. Yeah. This is this is actually the best answer that we've we've talked about for this is ask your players and want to improve. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to improve, 
Like, it's great, like, you uh, sending stuff to us, but you should be asking your players, first of all, because they're going to be the ones experiencing your dun dungeon mastering abilities in the game. So in order to have a better session, you want to be talking to your players and kind of discussing with them, like, what is the ideal game that you guys want to be striving for and how can you make it happen? Hmm. I couldn't agree more. If you have a vault question of your own, uh, you can send it to voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. We would love to answer. Um, I will probably write a response um, long before you hear your letter on the show. But uh, if not, trust that we are reading your stuff. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 13. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram are both at Vox Arcana Podcast. And uh, as mentioned before, you can email us at Vox Arcana Podcast at gmail.com. If you meet all three of us in person, you are granted a wish. <laughs>